right. Let's hear it for the worship team. I thought they were awesome today. Come on, guys. Amazing, amazing. It's always great to come to a, another campus, and, and really, Cabot has got to be like one of my very favorite ones to come to, but I don't get to travel anymore because I'm now over the Conway campus, and so I don't get around like I used to. It's probably been, you know, 10 or 12 months since I've been here and, and spoke to you guys, but I can just tell from the moment I come on, on site here that everybody, it just feels, has a good feeling in the house, and I'm just... I don't know if you're thankful to have a good church to come to. Um, just don't ruin it, okay? All right. Uh, Pastor James is awesome, and I just want to tell you that when he is around uh, other pastors, we have 18 campuses now, if you can imagine that, and we're more and more to come. But as we grow, more and more people look to people like your pastor, James. He's, he's got influence with all the young new pastors that are coming along, which which makes me mean that uh, he must have that kind of influence with his kids at home and, uh, because he spoke on parenting last week. So uh, obviously you're just a man of high authority. But this week we did something really fun as a staff. We went, uh, believe it or not, we went ATV riding as a staff. Like all the campus pastors, even our Florida campus came in and we did it. And so James and I have videos of our riding, and I just want to show you how it went. Mine is first, okay? All right. All right, pretty good, right? All right, so we're going to vote. James is next, all right? We're going to vote on who does best. I think it'll be obvious. <laughs> all right, there you go. Okay, that was a, just to be fair, that was a different hole that we went in, I think. And um, James, I have one where I used to have a white hat and I don't have a white hat anymore. It was like, just like that. So uh, how many of you think your Pastor James beat me on this one, right? Come on, everybody. So um, I agree. But today, look, we're going to finish up the family series and we're going to talk about the topic of marriage. There's, there's different kind of people in the room. There are married people. There are people who want to be married, and there might even be people who are married and don't want to be married, okay? They could be that. And this message could be for you, um, because we're going to hit a few things head on, because look, there's no perfect families. Come on, relax. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect parents. Come on, just take a breather and say, look, I'm real, all right? And so I think most of you know, at least, that I was married to a really great lady for, for 28 years, and we moved here and became a pastor, and, 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 uh, it, and so she had a little rough transition doing it, because I remember one time, we were all on the front row, and, and uh, she was sitting next to uh, Pastor Rick and Michelle and everybody, and so a lady came up after her and said, well, look, are you the pastor's wife? And uh, she goes, well, I'm one of the pastor's wives. And so, so oh, I didn't know it was that kind of church, you know, come on. But uh, people always referred to my wife as perfect. I think I might have mentioned this before, and, uh, but she wasn't perfect. I remember at least three things in 28 years that she did wrong. And uh, I mean, truthfully, she was, and, uh, so, but she's not perfect uh, because God knew it would be impossible for two perfect people to be married to each other, all right? Come on, somebody. Um, there you go. She's been in heaven now for five years. Believe it or not, it's been f over five years. 
And uh, I'm a single guy talking to you about marriage, okay? So that's kind of funny. And um, so we'll see how, how that goes. But um, so when I look, we had a good marriage. When I look back on our marriage, I think, you know, I was a really good husband and a great father too. But I've also learned that uh, when you get old, memory is one of the first things to go. So I remember coming home from a long day and Jill was in the kitchen clanging dishes. And I don't know about you, but I grew up with a mom that when she clanged dishes, she was mad. Like, oh boy, like the heavier, like things would break and like, it's like, oh, so I would ask Jill like, well, baby, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. I said, no, 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 really. Is something, is, is, is anything wrong? Dishes keep playing and I'm watching sports. No, everything's fine. I don't know. I think something's wrong in there. Something's wrong. Are you sure? She goes, no, I'm not sure. I was fine until you started asking me. Now I'm frustrated. Marriage is hard. Uh, one, one of our pastors sent out a text this morning. He said, marriage is like a three-ring circus. Engagement ring, wedding ring, suffering. Okay? <laughs> Most of you, when you got married, if you're married, you spoke vows to each other, and you were looking at each other going, for better or for worse. And just, oh, and tears were rolling down your cheek, and now you're wondering, what was I saying, you know? Um, look, some of you actually may feel like your marriage is sick. Some of you may just feel like, I want my marriage to improve a little bit. Uh, maybe some of you moms feel like you're, just, you're a single parent because your husband's doing stuff all the time, working or hunting or whatever. Look, um, we're not going to just pick on men here today. But maybe some of you men feel like your wife doesn't even uh, appreciate how hard you work or she doesn't affirm you in the things that you do. Um, Maybe your marriage is fine, but it's just a little distant. Um, Something's just missing and you can't put your finger on it. Maybe everything's fine on the surface, but it's just not as fun as it used to be. But maybe here, like I said, you might have a healthy marriage and just say, look, I want to brush up a little bit. I need a reminder. And hopefully we can do that today. But uh, what do you do in your life or in your marriage when things have been stuck for a while. What would Jesus tell you to do? And I think there's a great example in John chapter 5. There's a story of a man who is sitting by a pool called Bethesda. And the Bible says that uh, every now and then an angel would actually come down and stir up the waters in that pool and whoever got into the pool first would be healed of whatever disease uh, that they were, that they had. So for 38 years, 38 years, this man sat by this pool, unhealed, watching as people went in before him. And uh, some of you may feel that way in marriage. It might be 38 years, 38 months, 38 weeks, days. It might be 38 hours. If you're here and you're married and for 38 hours and you're having trouble, just text James right while we're talking, okay? <laughs> he won't mind. But I want to pick up this story in John chapter 5, and it's a really short story. Uh, It says this in John chapter 5, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid, paralyzed, 
for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Jesus is so smart, and Jesus comes up to that man and says, do you want to get well? Like, Jesus, I've always thought you were smart. Like, he's been sitting there for 38 years. Like, it seems like sort of a dumb question. Like, would you like to sit here for another 38 years, or would you like to be healed? Oh, let me think, Uh, you know. But that man had the choice to make, uh, to take charge of his own life. Because up till now, 38 years, he, he waited on, others waited on him, hand and foot. They, if he ate, somebody gave it to him. No matter what he did, somebody had to, to take care of his, his daily needs. And if he made the choice, he had 38 years, no job, no responsibility. He was paralyzed. And some of us might feel that whatever relationship we're in is paralyzed right now. We're just, it's not... It's just nothing really happening. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I just want to ask you what Jesus would ask you. Do you want to get well? Because I believe we could speak a whole sermon on the techniques of how to make a marriage better. But if you don't answer the question, do you want to get well, there's no purpose. We'd just be wasting our time. Do you want to get well? So when Jesus asks the question, okay, verse 7, it says this. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else gets down ahead of me. And here's what I, when Jesus asked that question to him, I think he just just sort of screamed, yes. But instead he made excuses. For 38 years, he could blame other people for his condition. Nobody's helping me. Nobody will help me. That's why I'm here in this condition. Uh, you know, legend has it that blame, you know, blame has been ever since the beginning of time. And legend has it that when after the fall of Eden, when uh, the, in the Garden of Eden, that Adam was walking his two sons, Cain and Abel, past the ruins of Eden, and they asked him, they said, Dad, what is that? He said, well, sons, that's where your mom ate us out of house and home. Uh, <laughs> So, so Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, okay? All right, is that Mark Pegley enough for you? Come on. Look, I've learned that if you start blaming other people for your problems, you'll miss opportunities that are right there in front of you. Can I have an amen? amen. So what are your excuses? Well, if he were only like this, if he would only do this, or if she were more something, then it would be easier. Look, Jesus overlooks the excuse of that man and calls him into action. The last verse here, verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the, at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. He said, look, you might blame other people for your uh, condition, But Jesus, if he were right there, he'd say, pick up your mat, pick up your excuses and walk. Pick up that decrepit old stinky mat that's been there for 38 years. You can either lay there or you can pick it up. But it's up to you. And sometimes it's not a joint effort. It's whether you will pick it up if the other, if your spouse doesn't pick it up. And I'm just telling you, sometimes it takes uh, one person first 
And uh, so you can stay where you are or you can go to re-engage. You can stay right where you are in your condition or just take one step, one life group, one phone call, one connect card, one something that gets somebody in your life. So so if you're ready to get well, look, I want to set this up. uh, I just want to give you a couple of practical things. Uh, Men have big needs, right? Okay, I'm not talking about that. Um, But men have big needs, and women have really big needs too. Can I have an amen? So I want to talk about the greatest needs for each because I believe if we handle the number one need in each Uh, for a man or for a woman, that a lot of the other things that frustrate us will follow along if we concentrate on the most important things. The husband's deepest need is unconditional respect. Unconditional respect. Uh, You can read it in books. It's not what you think it might have been. But I get this because my trigger, if there's something, I used to have a lot of anger in my life. And even still, if I feel disrespected, especially publicly, Something just rises up in me, and I get hot. And uh, hopefully, you know, I just I try to control it, but it's hard. Uh, so if your husband is huffing and puffing and blowing the house down, it might be that he's just not feeling respect. A wife's deepest need is unconditional love. Uh, Pastor Rick put it this way. He goes, look, every day, you know, I just I try to fill in that love. Women have this cavern. This, there's this hole that, that is like, I need love. And so you fill it up and you fill it up and you think, I'm good for a week. But no, the next day you wake up and that hole's empty again. You got to fill it up again. That's why the Lord says, give me today my daily bread, right? A man needs respect and a woman needs love. Listen, it's as simple as that. And it's as difficult as that. Sometimes we look at it the wrong way. We say, I would love her if she respected me, or I would respect him if he loved me. Husbands, you're called by God to unconditionally love a wife that doesn't respect you perfectly. Wives, you're called by God to unconditionally love, respect a a man who doesn't love you perfectly. A lot of time, the husband's not trying to, to be unloving. And many times, most times, a wife is not trying to be disrespectful, you know, because men and women were different. If a man says, I have nothing to wear, it means that nothing's clean. (laughs) If a woman says, I have nothing to wear, it means I have nothing new. So go shopping. But the enemy hates marriage. Don't you agree? He hates the commitment of marriage. He hates the benefits of marriage. He hates it when we do well. And uh, I just want you to know that God, if you get God involved in your relationship, uh, you can make progress no matter how decrepit things are in your home right now or even how good. So number one, how do you respect your husband? I'm going to talk to the ladies first, and then I'm going to hammer the men really good. Is that all right? So first of all, uh, if you have your notes, the first thing, how do you respect your husband? Support. Uh, because a man, he, he carries a lot of responsibility. Uh, think about it. Some men in this room, wherever they go, they're the leader. It could be on a construction site. It could be in, a, in an office somewhere. But he's a leader. He's a leader of somebody. So he goes to work. He's, the bo- he's a leader. He comes home to the kids. He's the leader. Uh, he puts the kids down. Uh, he, he's the leader to the wife. He might be a leader as a coach. Uh, but he's a leader. They were born to lead. And, and look, they may not be acing it in every aspect of being a leader, 
most men don't, okay? But they'll never get better if you don't support them. Ephesians 5, 24. Now, I don't like reading this verse. It's the only one like this I'm going to read. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives submit to your husbands and everything. Now, let me put this in perspective. My wife, uh, she had a sweet, really sweet but strong personality. And uh, she was a good hostess, a good leader. She could get things done. And, uh, And so sometimes we'd get, she'd tell me her opinion. And if it was different from my opinion, uh, we should say, well, okay, we have a difference of opinion, but I will submit to you whatever you say goes. And most men want to make the call until their wife says, okay, honey, big boy, the kids and I are waiting on your great wisdom of decision here. <laughs> and then the man goes, oh, what do you think? <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> so <clears throat> Proverbs 31 Verse 10 says this, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Isn't that a good thing to have on your refrigerator? Uh, You know, your man needs your support, because if you're not supporting him, then who is? You know, there's a song that everybody knows, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know, Aretha Franklin. Uh, R-E-S-P, I don't say, okay, so anyway, okay. Um, but no, not many people know that two years before that, the song was written by Otis Redding. And it was written from a male's vantage point because he was looking for respect from his wife. And that's why the song was written. Come on, somebody. So that was, number one is support. Number two This is a short point I'm going to make, and it's called contentment. Uh, Contentment. Um, No man wishes to himself, look, I just want to marry a person who complains all the time and nothing I do is good enough. Man, I just, like, that's top on my list. That's the first thing I want to do. Um, A nagging wife has never changed a man for the better. Never. Only the Spirit of God can change a husband. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Once a woman gets closer to God, somehow the man will follow eventually. Deep in every man is a need for their wife to be happy and content. And because uh, men are, you know, they already have the burden of working all the time and to provide for basic needs. And if, if it's not good enough, that man will take it personally. Like, oh, honey, we need a better car. We need a better house. We need a better this. We just don't have enough of this. And the man, you think you're just saying something, but that man can often take it personally, especially if he's doing the best that he can. Um, for a man, it's hard because we just want to please you. Like there's a stat that uh, one of our pastors told us, and he said, half of the divorces in the world are in the United States of America. So if material success were the answer, then would be the lowest, right? But it's not the answer. And that's why the scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Come on, somebody. The last one here is affirmation. I love these verses in Proverbs 12, 18. One says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. 
And uh, this next one is one that my wife and I, we met a Jamaican lady who gave us this verse. She just tell us this verse on our honeymoon. She goes, a soft answer. She goes, a soft answer. Turn it away rough. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Affirmation. You know, men, most men, they, don't, they act like they don't care what most people think, but they care what you think. They really do. Uh, it's true about most people. Um, if you want your husband close to you, you need to pick out something that he's doing well and give him some affirmation in something that he's doing well. They need to be affirmed or they'll run away. Uh, find a way to affirm him publicly. I, I can tell you that that is one thing that Jill got right. We'd be in public and she'd say, you know, my husband did this. I was like, I did? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. (laughs) I cringe when I hear people in public degrade uh, their husband. Um, I have a good friend who uh, was married. And uh, look, I don't believe in divorce and I'm not saying this is a reason for divorce or anything like that. He may, you know, whatever, but... He, uh, he would be in public, and he was a well-loved man, and people would come and say, man, I just want to tell you, your husband is a great man. He's just such a good man. She'd go, well, if you only knew. And that happened over and over and over again, and something in him snapped. I, I mean, he should have been stronger than that, but he wasn't. Um, you know, Proverbs 31, here again, Proverbs 31, 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Listen to this. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. Affirmation. You know, in a, natural, in a national study, 400 men were asked to make a choice between two negative things. And uh, they say, choose one or the other to be left alone and unloved in the world. That's one or to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. 74% of the men said, I would rather be alone and unloved than disrespected in this world. This just means that men need respect more than they need love. And I think, you know, there's a book called Love and Respect. If you want to look it up, I mean, it's just a great way to follow up on this. Um, so now that's, that's all for the ladies. Is it all right if I attack the men now, everybody? Is that okay? Good? So, come on, ladies. Amen. How do you love your wife? Um, communication. By communication, I mean listening. Uh, the, there is a book uh, that I like to, to read sometimes, uh, His Needs, Her Needs. And it talks about the number one need of a woman is non-physical intimacy like communication, love, without physical intimacy. Because women, they speak 20,000 words a day, and on average, men speak seven, and 3,500 of those are grunts, okay? You ever had a computer in the day that had a lot of pop-ups? You know, just the pop-ups would come. That's a woman's brain right there, okay? Um, It could be anything from the shopping list at Kroger to kids' school to her insecurities, to did you bathe the dog, and they could all be jumbled up at the same time. Did you bathe the dog at Kroger? I mean, you know, it could be anything, all right? No, baby. 
We men, we think that the way you close the pop-ups is to give answers, solutions to those problems. Well, that doesn't work, okay? Have you ever played whack-a-mole? You know whack-a-mole? You know, you, you whack one, another one comes up. Hey, look, well, there's a video uh, that I want you to watch here. It's really kind of cool. And uh, it's about this topic of trying to give solutions when all she wants is comfort. So check this out. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is, and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged, I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way. Do I have All right. to keep on talking till I can Okay, you're not going to remember anything I said here today, but the video is cool. Like a man, he'll finish a conversation, and it's in the trash can. But women, they're, they're different. You know, men, mission accomplished, we're done, we bagged it, we tagged it, the conversation is over. But a woman needs to process over. They need closure again and again and, and again. So the best advice I can give men is to master a few phrases like this, like, uh, oh, and then what happened? Really? Tell me more. All right, come on, men. Do that. Say, really? Okay, really. Okay, good, good, good. So women feel love through communication. My wife would go to church and she goes, listen, uh, she would tell me, like, Bobby, I want to get out of here. I've got things to do. I want to leave right when church is over. I'm like, oh, okay, music to my ears. Awesome. And then 45 minutes after church, she's just like talking to somebody like they're, oh, you know. So anyway, um, it's, it's funny the differences between men and women in details. Like uh, I remember uh, they get mad. Any of you women ever get mad when your husband doesn't tell you details? about stuff. Okay. So I remember like finding out someone had a baby and didn't tell my wife. And then she found out like, why didn't you tell me? Did you see, did you know they had a baby? Oh yeah, they had a baby. Well, what is it? A boy or a girl? Well, it didn't have hair. Uh, you know, well, how much did it weigh? Uh, you know, it's baby size, 30 pounds, you know, um, something like that. And, um, well, well what's its name? Uh, baby Johnny. Uh, you know, Chris, boy or a girl, who, whatever. And uh, well, Jill goes, no, it's not Johnny. It's a girl. I knew about it. All right. So uh, anyway, Ephesians 5.28, it says this. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives 
as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. That's strong. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Look, your wife needs you to be your best friend, to listen to her, to communicate. That's point number one. Number two is leadership. It says this also in uh, Ephesians 5, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Look, Christ died for the church. And a lot of you men would say, well, I would die for my wife. But would you die to yourself to live for your wife? Okay? It's not about authority. A woman is called to submit and a husband's called to die, die to himself. It's not about authority. There's a, there's a story about a Razorback and an LSU fan in a bar. And uh, the Razorback fan was telling the LSU fan, look, my wife was not keeping the house right and things were just messed up with the kids and I decided I'm going to go home and I'm going to lay the law down. So uh, he goes, I went, I went by there and I, I told my wife that this is the way it is and I laid the law down. And the first day, I didn't see much change. The second day, I didn't see much change. Third day, all of a sudden, things got a little better. So the LSU said, guy said, I'm going to try that. So uh, he goes, and they split up. Well, thank you for the advice. And then they meet up again about two weeks later. And he goes, well, how did it go? He goes, well, I tried your advice. And, uh, you know, the first day I didn't see much. The second day I didn't see much. And the third day, as my eyes, the swelling in my eyes opened up a little bit, I could see a little bit. (laughs) Look, leadership is all about initiating first. Are you the first to sacrifice, the first to serve? the first to have self-control, the first to bring God into a situation, the first to do the right thing, the first to say, I'm sorry, come on, somebody, the first to work hard at job and at home. Here's one thing that means a lot to a wife, and this is going to be a little uncomfortable, pray with her. It's not easy to do it first, but it's worth it. Uh, The best thing you can do, you can... Here's how you can do it. You can just pray over a problem. I'm having a problem at work. Let's pray. Okay? You know, you don't have to get this right. Uh, hey, our kids, you know, he's having trouble. Let's, can we pray real quick? Uh, what about just for others? What about for your pastors? Hey, someone said, James, let's just pray for church today. Look, you can just be honest and say, I don't really know how to pray too good. Can we make this short and let's just pray together Okay, you know, uh, Jason Kimbrough in Fayetteville had a marriage retreat, and he told me this story about uh, they encouraged all the men to pray with their, their wives. And there was this one guy that was a college, uh, a Razorback football. He used to play college football, and he raised his hand. He says, all right, I'm going to do it, but I'm nervous. It's, it, it feels like I'm about to run out of the tunnel before a game, so hang in there with me. It's just, it can be very nervous, but I just want you to know that you can do it. You can have leadership in ways. Uh, The person who does the right thing first is the leader in the home, and I hope it's the man. The last thing, and then we'll wrap this thing up, is uh, a woman needs security. The first thing a woman needs is financial security. 
Uh, be a hard worker. Find a way to make money. First uh, Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for the, his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't know if that could be any stronger. But security in marriage. Woman need you to tell her that she's beautiful. Because the enemy will lie to a woman. They need you to pursue them, send them text messages. I'm not the greatest at text messages. Do romantic things on days that aren't special. Hey, I was just thinking about you today. Well, what's today? It's nothing I was thinking about you. It doesn't have to be super big. The thought really does count, especially when it's not a special day. And never, ever, ever, ever bring up the word divorce as a tactic in an argument. If you've done it, stop it. I can't say it any stronger because what you say will come to pass. Don't do it, please. She needs stability. Look, husbands, you don't need a better wife and wives, you don't really need a better husband. You need to be more like Christ. If you're more like Christ, it'll change your home. Practical advice, it won't heal a marriage. It'll help a marriage. Only God can heal a marriage. And if you've blown it in marriage in the very worst way or in a minor way, through anger, through shouting, in front of your kids even, look, God can forgive you, but you also have to answer the question, do you want to be well? So I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads with me now. And so I'm, I, I'm not going to ask anybody if, if you need help in your marriage to raise your hand. I, I would think that all of us would say, golly, I need help. But how many of you would say, through all that you've said here today, I realize that I can't do what's right because I'm not, I'm not where I should be with the Lord. I've kind of wandered away from my walk with the Lord. I need to be, I need to be closer to the Lord, whether you're single whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married, whether you don't want to be married, you would just say, I need the Lord to be back close in my life. Some of the things you said just reminded me that Jesus is not in his rightful place in my life, and I want to hand my life back over to him. And I'm not going to take much time, but across this room with every head bowed, I want you to raise your hand across here if I can pray for you. Come on, raise your hands now. Yeah. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Keep your hands up. I'm seeing hands go up and down. Yes, thank you so much. Would you just repeat after me, everybody? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, we need your help. I want to be well. So I ask you to touch me and forgive me from everything that I've done wrong, even the really terrible things. I repent from my sin. I change my ways, and I ask you to help me. I love you. In Jesus' name.